We'll try to really Joe Marathon episode of Grady Man. We'll try to make this like Alex Jones on Joe Rogan. Um, <laughs> but cool. In that case, let's do it. I'm Matt Robinson. I'm Noah Bissell. And this is Graining In. Jake Hill. Play it. <laughs> I'm in the mood to be slow and careful. My body's ready for a mountain climb. All of a sudden it will all become lovely. The flower that opens in the morning light. After a year of doing these episodes through Zoom quite frequently, I think we're accustomed to it. It doesn't feel kind of as foreign as it used to, I would say. And then I even, hope. I mean, <laughs> I hope it got a little better. Yeah. But even Zoom kind of opened up, allowing us to talk to some people that we wouldn't get to before. That was kind of the cool highlight of it. I think in this circumstance, though, it's almost one of the first Zooms for me that's bittersweet. Because even if you look at like, we talked to Dan from Forest in Maine a couple weeks ago, and that's Pennsylvania. It's kind of right on the cusp of being too far away. This is a conversation that we can have because we have Zoom. But in the case of Matt Richardson and Tilted Barn Brewery, right? You got it. Brewery. Tilted Barn Brewery. <laughs> That's in Rhode Island, and that's kind of right down the road. And I've got to think that if this wasn't going on, not only would we have visit this year by now, but we we, we would have been having this conversation in person. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I'm psyched. And and truly mean it when I say that, When with a concept of what you guys are doing there, it certainly kind of maps a little bit to, to the world that we're living up here specifically in Milo, but had this been normal times and this year not been what it was, um, a super kind of almost inspiring concept for what we're doing that that would have been very easy to get the few hours down the road to go check it out. So for people listening who aren't familiar, what is Tilted Barn? Um, Tilted Barn, so we are, uh, we're sort of a, we're a farm brewery in the sense of our location. Not uh, a lot of people think of like a farmhouse brewery. You think of like brewing farmhouse styles, um, uh-huh. but we're more of a farmhouse brewery in terms of our location. So we're uh, originally started in a, you know a hundred plus year old barn on our farm here in Rhode Island. We brew uh, a lot of different styles. We focus initially on a lot of hoppy stuff. Obviously, it's what I like to make. It's what I like to drink. But um, we certainly mix in quite a few styles now. But um, yeah, that's really just sort of who we are. We're just we're just. A little old brewery started on a, in in the barn on the farm, kind of grew from there. <laughs> and in regards to that, I think we usually try to stay away from like the general story narrative. <laughs> yeah. But where it is the little barn on the farm <laughs> that has so much history, I We're think this might hard be a, on per- that. <laughs> a perfect episode to just tell a story. Yeah. yeah. Um. So so yeah, I mean to, to just throw it back, like I. You know, I think we've digested as between Matt and I as much as we can um, that that's out there for that externally. But mm-hmm. the kind of track I got was you met your your wife and and business partner in a greenhouse or or at a yeah. at a working at another farm, and the rest of the details kind of up to that were a little hard for me to map. But it it just seems like laced with this this type of romanticism that it, you like you can om- only get in beer almost um <laughs> and and that i so yeah i'd like to just sort of hear uh 
a little in, in however you'd like to do that from that point to, to you guys meeting to here we are talking to you and your recently expa- finished expansion and what looks basically like Daryl Hall's house, you know, in, in that, that, that series. It looks like one of the nicest barns I've ever seen. And, and actually, last thing real quick. Yeah. Um, I have a, a buddy from college that's from, from Rhode Island, and he's kind of become a big beer head since we, we both graduated. So I um, – uh, reached out to him last night. Just uh, is, you know, is there anything that jumps out to you at at, at Tilted Barn to talk about? And he said um, he name dropped whoever the the people that built the barn was. They're like they're oh, very yeah. they're very respected uh, post and beam builder in Rhode Island. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, back to story time. Yeah, yeah. T- take me to how how we got here. Yeah, sure. So we um, yeah. So I met my wife Cara uh, working at another farm down the road from where we are right now. Uh, her family is just, you know, has a, was big into farming as, as far back as you could go. Uh, I am not, I was not anyway. <laughs> I grew up in like total suburbs, uh, you know, just outside of Providence. And uh, as soon as I could drive, I remember calling my dad and be like, hey, how do I get down to a farm? I'm gonna go work on a farm. I'm gonna get out of, out of the city. And uh, yeah, just met her down there and, and ended up, um, the farm that we are on now used to be her grandparents' farm originally, and when they passed mm. away, we were able to buy it and keep it in the family. Wow, um, amazing. So, yeah, we were just looking. I was homebrewing at the time, um, and her brother one day came home, I remember, with some hop rhizomes, and it was like, hey, we, sh- we, should, uh, we should plant some of these on the farm. I said, yeah, it's a hell of an idea. So we started growing hops uh, on the farm, and... Uh, you know, planted a few the first year and then more the next year. And then, you know, a couple of years before we knew it, we had like a full blown hop farm selling to like local breweries and doing like pick your own events for home brewers and stuff, which is pretty cool. Um, but it's a lot of work. I mean, if, I mean, I know you guys have been to the hop yard and stuff up there. It's, yeah. it's a lot of work unless you have some really expensive equipment to yeah. do it, uh, which we did not at all. <laughs> yeah. It seems so. kind of like, a um, it, there's a very specific like point where it, it makes sense, which from a scale standpoint, which is which is bigger than it's I think most comparative, really other many types of farming. The beaut it's it's so beautiful when it's super small, but when yeah. you, there's so much processing equipment that yeah. you just can't do by hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was I mean we had nights. When hops, when they come into harvest, it's like you got a few weeks <laughs> to pick everything, you know, and yeah. that's it. And we were doing yeah. it by hand. I mean, we're out there, you know, I mean, literally through the night sometimes just inviting people over. We buy pizzas, bring beer, but like come help us pick. and Anything. Anything. <laughs> get, you know? We're throwing a pick party. Come <laughs> yeah. on down. It was fun for the first, you know, like 72 hours. And then it got <laughs> yeah. pretty old after that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, so a couple of years of that, I was like, you know, um, this is not – sustainable. I'm going to, you know, go nuts trying to get this done, working full time at the same time doing that. So, uh, beer was really always my passion. The hops were just something fun to do. So we said, rather than grow hops and, and spend all this time selling them, why don't we grow hops and use them ourselves and start our own brewery in the barn. So it's pretty much what we did. Mm. I want to backtrack a tiny bit to what got you into beer in the first place. But before that, 
we hear the story quite a bit of like, I want to get off the farm and get to the big city. <laughs> you, you rarely hear it, or I've yeah. rarely heard it the other way around, where right. I want to leave the the medium city and get right yeah. to the farm. What drew you to that farm life? That's a good question. I don't know. It's like, you know, growing up, so I grew up in the, the city of Warwick. It was, you know, 10 minutes mm-hmm. outside of Providence. It was, yeah. uh, it's where the airport is. It's great. I mean, we had a blast. You know, all of, I could walk to, you know, 10 of my friends' house if I need to. It was great. That part of it was great. Um, but as I got older, it just, I don't know, it just didn't click with me. I like being outside. I like being in nature. I like working. Um, and not and really any of that happened where I was growing up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it just kind of drew me drew me out this way. Totally. So what were, to, to get to the original question, what were those kind of formative beer moments that we talk about so much on here that that made you fall in love with beer to then you're playing with rhizomes and want to start growing hops yeah i'd say uh the the formative years for me were college which is probably for everybody you know (laughs) um but the weird thing about me is i you know most people go to college you buy the cheapest thing you can get because it's just what you want to get, you know, bang for your buck pretty much. Yeah. But I went to school in Vermont. And so up there, it's oh, like, you go to the gas station up there. And it's like, oh my God, there's, yeah. you know, we had back then, this is a while ago. I'm getting pretty old now, but you know, Long Trail, Magic Cat, all those great guys up there at the time who were like new and big. Um, but I lived in this, I went to a school called Johnson State. So it's up in Johnson, Vermont. And there was this, uh, at the time, this little brewery called Rock Art who was just happened to be right down the road from where we lived. And mm-hmm. uh, at, at the time they were brewing out of their house. Uh, wow. just selling growlers to like the local liquor stores or local gas stations. And so we just got hooked on, there's so much good beer up there, even at that time. And there was not anything like that in Rhode Island at the time. Um, and so, yeah, it was just having all those options and like really just kind of seeking out like everything Vermont at the time. I mean, I didn't drink anything that wasn't from Vermont just cause I got really hooked on like the local scene up there and what everyone was making. And, you know, we drive to Burlington and get $5 growler fills from Magic Cat just so we could, you know, it was at the time of five bucks is great to get a growler fill for five bucks. It was awesome. You know, and you get really good beer. So definitely be great now. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's so funny. I remember seeing, uh, really in kind of early homebrewing days, even for me watching a video for rock about rock art, like some, I don't even know what it was, but some random YouTube video. And yeah, it was like that this dude, um, brewing probably 15 gallon batches out of like a shed in his yard. And I was like, what? Cause, (laughs) cause now, you know, you see them and, and you know, they have a pretty, uh, uh, obvious brewery and and I can never remember if it's Morrisville or Morristown but one of the they keep the moving Morris's. yeah Morrisville yeah yeah yep. um and uh so just funny it's very funny to think about that so, uh roughly what kind of time are, are you talking when you had been in college uh so I was in Vermont in like early 2000s mm-hmm. so yeah I mean yeah early 2000s that was before I mean like the breweries up there at the time was Magic Cat, Otter Creek, Long Trail, like Rock Art, there was Trout River, a bunch of you know, nothing that's there now. I was probably like 45 minutes from Hill Farmstead where it is now. Unfortunately, wasn't there. Not a big beer scene <laughs> in Greensboro back then. <laughs> um, so, so after that, you, you got out like, you know, I know from, I, I left college and beer was going to be my future one way or another by the time mm-hmm. I got out of there. Um, did you just kind of see it being, you know, a hobby and, and, and passion of yours kind of on the side? Yeah, pretty much. Um, 
my I remember my dad, my first time ever making my own batch of beer at all. My dad used to go to this place in Warwick where it was like a brew on premise site where you go and they have oh, all this wow. stuff and you do like an extract brew and you make it. And then they do all the work for two weeks and then you come back and you bottle it and you take it home. Uh, he used to go all the time. So that was fun. <laughs> that kind of got me into like making, making beer, going with him. Um, and then my wife bought me for, uh, college graduation gift. She bought me my own, my first homebrew kit. And like, that was it. I knew like, you know, everyone's first brew. I mean, mine was a brown ale. I feel like that's everyone's first brew back then. It's like a brown ale. You know, it's like, oh my God, it's so fucking good. I just want to drink this all the time. <laughs> I made this. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. I can't yeah. And that was it. I mean, that was it. I can't remember what mine was. It was definitely an ex- some extract, whatever extract kit came with, you know, the yeah. equipment. Um, but whatever, you know, I don't think calling it a style by any stretch would, would be, you know, doing the BSA-GP much justice because <laughs> it was, uh, you know, <laughs> might I feel like toxic. Brown, uh, brown ale is a good first brew for most home brewers because it's going to turn brown no matter what you do to it. So you might as well Facts. start off with yeah, the brown Very ale. good point. Very good point. And then you can just be like, it's actually root beer. You can only just tell that with, with, if, you, if you inevitably get like big phenols. And, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, did you guys keep, so you had already met by then. Um, yeah. Was it, was it farming kind of uh, from then on? Um, more or less, no, really. So, yeah, so I was, I had a degree in like environmental science. So I was doing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, environmental work, you know, soil stuff, forestry stuff, that kind of thing. Car as a teacher. And I actually got a really good job working for the government, federal government, USDA was like, to me, that was like, that was it. That was the job, like good hours, good retirement, good pension, everything, you know, it was great. And after like a couple of years, I was like, man, this is just boring. Like it just, I was, felt like I was just sitting there wasting away, not doing anything I was passionate about. Um, So that was when fast forward to where we started growing hops. I was around that time. And I was like, man, this is like, I'm, I'm excited about this. This is something I can really get into. So we did a couple of years of growing hops. Um, and then there was a, a local brewery who was going out of business and selling their, um, it was a one barrel system was what they were selling. I'm like, let's buy it. So I talked to Carr <laughs> and she, <laughs> I told him like, let's do it. I'm like, I want to, I want to start a brewery in the barn. Let's, let's, let's jump in and do it. And so, yeah, she gave me the okay. We bought that equipment. Uh, and then I got it back to the barn. I was like, man, this is, this is, not really good equipment. <laughs> I can't make any beer on this. So we sold that. I didn't even brew a batch on it. We sold oh, it. Wow. Um, <laughs> must have been really not good equipment. It then. was, yeah, it was, it was good for, it was glorified homebrewing equipment, but I knew uh-huh. we couldn't make any kind of uh-huh. you know, good commercial beer on it. So, yeah. uh, but then, yeah, we kind of said, all right, well, we got this equipment and we can sell it. We got some money. We didn't want to have any investors. We said, let's just me and you 50, 50, no outside influence. Let's do it. And so wow. we, basically took all the money we had. We were able to buy a two barrel stout brewing system, uh, stuck in the barn and yeah, opened up. That was it. Wow. Wow. Self funded and you know, not to make any assumptions about your financial situation then, but doesn't sound like you know there'd no, be a, yeah. between a teacher and you know well, that a federal money employee. took that federal money yeah, right. brewery. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean that all I'm saying is that truly must have been like all you guys had to do that I mean I oh, yeah. can't even imagine that um, yeah I'm curious about the, the the barn element because 
you know, there's, I don't really know how the timeline stacks up, but between like Lawson's, certainly Hill Farmstead, obviously, and then, you know, dozens in Belgium and, and, and other places, just the idea of having a brew house in a barn is just, you know, really kind of firmly ingrained in, in beer tradition, I guess. Um, on one hand, that must have been, how would I say that, comfortable to be like, okay, I know this could work. That that was almost kind of what I always could tell myself when, when we when we were started talking about getting the brewery up here in Milo, because it's there's no real way to justify it other than like, well, they did it, um, <laughs> and, it and it worked. So, um, but for, for for that, you know. Rhode Island, at least, is at such a uh, close proximity to a lot of places. But still, as you say, you're in a dirt road where you can't go fast. Um, or I guess you were talking about this before, where dirt road where you can't go faster than 15 miles an hour. Yeah. I mean, the, you're on your driveway <laughs> is where <laughs> the brewery is. Um, yeah. how, how was that decision made to do it there, that way? What were you already thinking about maybe potential privacy issues or yeah, what where was your headspace at at that point? Yeah, uh it was sort of it was I'd like to say it was planned better. <laughs> but it was, but it was not. It was pretty much like, hey, we got this we got this space, uh it's an old barn, it needs some work, it needs some cleaning out, but we could stick it in there for you know, for no we don't need any money to do that. Just a lot of, a lot of work to clean it up and get it in there. Yeah. Uh, in my head, I'm like, this is a great space. Like I'd love to be out here. Like you said, like working in a barn, brewing in a barn at nighttime, that kind of thing, which is, which is great. And it's be, it became that, like, I really love that space for that reason, but it's more of just like, well, here's what we got. Let's, let's make it work. And that's sort of been like our MO the whole time is like, here's the cards we're dealt. We're, we're on this farm, we're on this barn. Uh, let's make it work. Uh, yeah. And it really just, I, I'm, I'm still amazed like now sitting in this place where we are now that you know it's been six years and we somehow made it to this like looking back at the beginning but people really just love to come out similar to how I wanted to get out you know get out in the country when mm-hmm. I was in high school it was like people mm. come out here because you drive a half mile down this dirt road and you open up to like this beautiful space and this beautiful location and you got you know great beer coming out and you hang out in this old barn it's just uh it's just a, a nice setting um but it's, yeah, it's just something about the space that really, for me to work in it and for people to come here, just it just kind of hit. But it was not planned that way. It just kind of happened. As somebody who loves the story and, and there's just an undeniable romanticism to all of that and in kind of reading up on you before this, this one sentence jumped out at me um, just in a massive way. And it was like, what a great place to get your beer, hang out and explore. Um, and in terms of the property itself, I know you, you touched on it a little bit, but give me the history of it again, of, of how did it come to be in, in your care and where was it and how long was it tied to you guys? Sure. Yeah. So, um, so Cara's grandparents bought this farm in the fifties. Uh, ah. her mom grew up here and her uncle, um, yeah, so they were, and it's been a number of things. Like her grandfather did a whole bunch of stuff in the barn back in the day, you know, woodworking, metalworking, all yeah. sorts of stuff. They had animals, they grew hay, they got Christmas trees. It's been just a little bit of everything over the years. Um, 
And so when I met Cara, her grand, her grandparents are much older, couldn't really do the work. And I just, again, I loved coming down this way and working. So I started just kind of helping out on the weekends, doing the work on the farm. Um, and Cara, obviously she grew up here. She loved this place. So she loved coming out this way. So we just spent more and more time up here and it just kind of, um, worked out because her parents have a farm down the road, about a mile down the road. Mm -hmm. So when it came time to unfortunately talk about, you know, next generation, her grandparents were not going to be here for that much longer. You know, we put it out there pretty, pretty early on that we, we'd love to take over the farm and, and to move in and, and keep it going. So it just worked out great. Her uncle's out in Chicago. Um, he wasn't moving back to Rhode Island. Her parents already had the land. They didn't need any more. So we're just, yeah, we, we were pretty fortunate. That's awesome. Um, I'm sure this will kind of be threaded through, but I'd have to think that there was that like so much of this initial feeling of like, great, we get to share this, this place that means so much to us with other people. But then the more you do that, the harder it is to just be your place. I mean, it's literally right. I mean, where your home is, where you've raised four kids together. I mean, it's, I mean, that's like the most sacred of you know realms for a person um so then to have it be also a storefront also a a factory you know at whatever size um there there i would have to think there had to at least be a few moments of like fuck <laughs> but, but, but i might be totally wrong on that no you you hit it dead on that that's that was aside from needing more beer because we couldn't keep up with demand was the the big driving factor was just the the lack of privacy you know we lost we gained a business we gained this brewery but we lost our we lost our privacy we lost you know our home in a sense really because you know we were only open very limited hours you know friday night saturdays that kind of thing um but people working here you know monday through friday with people working for us every day of the week almost so it's like you never you're just never alone, you know, which, um, it did get old. Like I said, and raising kids was tough. Uh, you're, you know, I knew say, you know, you're getting a, a grain delivery, you know, a truck's coming. So you couldn't send the kids outside cause you're worried that they might get run over by the truck when he's backing up that kind of thing. Yeah. Even on, you know, days were closed. People always, people always, they still do drive down the road. Like, oh, I just want to see, <laughs> even if we're not down there anymore, they still come down there. I just want to see the place, just want to check it out. So it's like, you know, you send the kids outside thinking it's totally fine. And then you see some car pulling up. You don't know who it is, yeah, you yeah. know? So it got, uh, it was great at first. It was so exhilarating to see these people coming out. We couldn't believe that like, Hey, they're coming out to make something that we're making. Like, this is amazing. It was, it was the best feeling. But after yeah. a few years of that, it started to get, you know, it got old. It got old. Totally. And that's you say that to say in terms of the place you're sitting now and the new spot that you've built that opened right around Thanksgiving, a little bit further out on the property away from the house. Yeah. Yeah. So the old brewery was uh, probably 100 feet from the house. Like, I mean, it was right there. Yeah. We had people, not, people would literally knock on the door and we're closed. Like, hey, can I get my growler filled? Like, oh my God. <laughs> this is my kitchen. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah. So our our driveway our private roads about a half mile uh where the old brewery was we're like a third of the way down the road now so we're it's a good separation you can see the old brewery you can see the old house but you're you're far away from it so we, we got our privacy back which is great and we got a beautiful space for everyone to share and that we're we're a hundred percent happy to share now not not feeling any kind of remorse <laughs> for <everyone coming> by. <laughs> that's amazing yeah yeah 
Um, yeah. I do want to quickly touch before we 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 go on past it. Um, just to to still kind of get a little more understanding of Ocean State hops. Um, for one, it seemed like it was pretty early. It seemed like it kind of predated where you know every state had someone growing hops. You know, at at some type of scale where. It could be sold to professionals. So that's for one. And two, I'd have to think like it was certainly a huge change of pace probably from working for the government, but also like, oh, I can actually apply my interest and skills here and that drives this excitement and stuff. But then just from like like you had alluded to before we were uh, started recording, like just seeing the hop yard, which is like, you know, at, at, reasonable scale for for a local um uh company mm-hmm. still just the <laughs> the madness i mean even going into <laughs> yakima like these these massive farm it's like a shit show for like two or three weeks of the year and you're at the whim and mercy of mother nature um and then there's this this built-in um, almost investment from the each variety, how much you plant, which then the the tastes and and desires of the industry seem to change at a more rapid rate every hour, yeah. and then you're kind of like two or three years out when you get a rhizome planted before yeah. you're getting like its uh potential yields. Talk about kind of figuring that out of like maybe this isn't isn't the way we want to do it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I think we started in 2010 was when we first started really planting hops, um, which seems not that long ago, but like, like you said, like back yeah. then there, no one, no one was really doing it back then. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of not really why we did it either. Like we, we kind of always just kind of do things in our own little bubble just cause I don't know, just being out here, it's just, we don't. I've become more aware of the bigger scene, but we just sort of just like, Hey, let's plant some hops. And then kind of looked around afterwards, like, wow, no one else is really doing this around here. It's kind of cool. Um, which is cool because the, no one else is doing it at the same time. There wasn't really anyone to lean on either for best <laughs> yeah. methods or how to do it. Yeah. The only stuff we could find is out in Yakima. Like if you want to plant like a hundred hectares, it's like, no, we want to do like an acre you know? <laughs> in perfect conditions to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that was kind of tough, um, but it was just, you know, it was just kind of fun to, we felt we were, because we were the only ones, we did get quite a bit of attention, which was cool, um, from the local scene, from, you know, some of the local magazines and newspapers and that kind of stuff. And the pick your own event we did was really the best. And that was really just like, man, I don't want to pick all these hops by myself and sell them. Like, why don't we have people pick, pick them your and own. We'll charge them for that? <laughs> so that worked out great. But that was really the homebrewers were like one of our best customers, honestly, because they weren't too concerned about the alpha acid or what the, you know, what the humidity of it was and this and that. How, how much did you dry it? They were just like, wow, this smells great. I'm going to throw this in my five gallon batch today. Like, and that was it. And it was, it was, it was really easy. It was cool. It was laid back. Um, but yeah, it started getting a little more tough when we really started marketing towards breweries because, like I said, they were like, well, I'm really into citra lately. It's like, well, we, we can't buy citra yeah. plants. You can buy the hop, but you can't buy the rhizome, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, we were doing like Cascade, Chinook, Nugget, like real, real simple stuff. Um, and yeah, you couldn't really turn on a dime and everyone wanted to pelletize, which we weren't going to do. So 
it was it was uh it was challenging it was fun it was it got me to where i am now but it i'd uh it's man i give those guys a lot of credit any kind of farming is tough but especially like a something like hops where it's like now it's such a, a you know everyone expects so much out of in terms of flavor aroma quality you know what i mean it's not like you grow tomatoes it looks red it tastes good like yeah i'm gonna eat that but like yeah. hops like yeah. man you could come up with this new breed that you spend 10 years on and it could smell like decent but not like you know amazing and it's not going to sell you know it's it's or it's susceptible to, to downy mildew a little <laughs> exactly. more than something similar and it gets phased out like yep. yeah that's the thing that blows me away it's it seems like to really um make it a business business you have to go all in in a way that is beyond beyond me and 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 also, like you say, like like a lot of the inherent challenges in farming are just amplified. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what? yes. But I'm, I remember sweating it out a couple of years because you know harvest is around Labor Day, which is like peak hurricane season, and it's like all it takes is one good windstorm, and it, like your entire year's work is you know burnt out and on the ground. You know, it's crazy. It's crazy. Was that when you talk about you? look back on it fondly it did get you to where you are was tilted barn kind of like a, a natural evolution or or kind of a, a need to get out of that business because we, <laughs> we don't want to do this business forever right I, yeah i think um it was it was a, the the much needed stepping stone you know mm -hmm. i mean so many people brewing at home with no commercial experience I, I mean not everyone obviously but some people most people are like i'd love to open my own brewery someday of and course. it's like how do you how do you go from brewing in a garage to opening a brewery? It's, that's a hard step. Um, but I feel like having that ocean state hops, having that, that stepping stone to get us sort of in the industry. We met a lot of people. We kind of saw what went into it. Um, that was sort of how we, how we kind of, that was the stepping stone that we needed to really get into it. And without it, I don't think we probably, probably wouldn't have opened the brewery. I don't think, I think yeah. that, that's a, that's a big step. That's, that's a scary step otherwise. So. That's interesting to hear. I I think I look at the uh, when I worked at the Thirsty Pig for a couple of years before the brewery opened, and obviously completely different method of achieving the same kind of thing. But I looking back on it, I very much look at it the same thing. Yeah, it probably would have been better to just work at a brewery for a few years. <laughs> um, yeah. But it it put me in a place where I just kind of saw and grew to understand the industry in almost like an insider way that I like couldn't, I wouldn't have been able to achieve any other way with when you're serving Rob Todd a beer and, and like <laughs> right. mumbling your words and shit. <laughs> um, so so it's, it's, I guess I've never, yeah, heard, heard it kind of, it, all t it's you either hear, yeah, I worked in a brewery and that got me ready. No one really says I worked in a bar and that got me ready. But, <laughs> but, uh, but to have, have another, uh, you know, means to that end is, 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 is interesting to hear. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird. It's like, uh, it's sort of like, you know, getting a, a small peek behind the curtains, you know, like we, we got into some breweries to sell some, some of our hops to them and see what kind of went on behind the scenes and just getting to meet people like Zed with Rob Todd and stuff like that. And just sort of like that little peek behind there, let you in a little bit, sort of like softens the blow of like, all right, I'm going to make this jump. Yeah. Gives you the confidence, you know, some of the things that I can all get right. after this. Are you yeah, yeah. are you guys still growing any of your own hops that you're putting into the beer 
of your own? Uh, we cut way back on that. Um, yeah. We do grow some now, but mainly we're saving it more for like our mixed fermentation stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, so we can kind of pick them, throw them on the top of the barn, let them age a while, yeah. and kind of forget about them, and mm-hmm. then grab them a couple years later. Yeah. Um, that kind of thing. We're doing. We're trying. We're actually trying to grow a lot more other stuff and diversify what we get from the farm in terms of fruit, um, yeast, hops, a little bit of everything that we use in the beer instead of just kind of having that one thing. So. Yeah, that totally. makes a ton of sense. Um, one one last thing on that, because then I just obviously want to talk about beer, but um, <laughs> did see kind of having that angle into the industry like that. Did that almost, in because I've heard you talk about it, it's always seemed that way to me looking at Rhode Island that almost like Rhode Island and New Hampshire are kind of like lagging New England. Um mm-hmm. In for ver for different reasons and in different ways, but um, it, did did it almost kind of give you the confidence of like, well, in not to at all throw anyone under the bus, but I'm but to be like, well, if this is what it is. Like, I I can definitely throw my hat in this ring. Yeah, I think actually my uh, when I came back from Vermont was my eye opening experience with that because it was you know finished school in Vermont and moved back home to Rhode Island and was like, man, there's just, there's nothing. I mean, there was, there's, <laughs> there was nothing to get. I was, I was buying, you know, older Vermont beer, but down here just to drink because there was nothing good and local at the time. Uh, and it was, and you're right. Like Rhode Island, for whatever reason, Rhode Island and New Hampshire were just um, so far behind. Uh, you know, when we opened up, I think there was like two or three breweries in the whole state. Wow, that was it, wow. maybe three. Wow. Up until like, yeah, there was for years, there was only one I mean, forever. There was one brewery, Newport Storm for mm-hmm. forever. And then a couple more started and a couple more. And it's kind of, it's snowballed since then. Um, but yeah, there's definitely, definitely, I, I think more so my time in Vermont and enjoying beers from Maine and Vermont and up that way um, really kind of opened my eyes to how, how little we had down this way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and, and also, you know, reaching out to, and that was the other thing too, reaching out to some of the breweries that were here. None of them were even really interested or even knew what to do with local hops or fresh hops, you know, because <laughs> they just, they weren't into being innovative and, and experimenting and trying new things out, you know. Uh-huh. So when you see that and you feel that and you've got that excitement that you take from Vermont in the most like idealistic sense, what did you set out to do with Tilted Barn? Uh, our, so <laughs> we're pretty, I'm pretty bad business person. <laughs> I feel like that was sort of like the last thing we thought of is like <laughs> the the financial side of it. Yes. It was, I really just wanted to make some, some, some really good beer out of our barn. I'm like, our state needs it. We need some good beer. Uh, I know we can do it. And that was really it. Like just make some, make beer. I like to drink that i I was confident other people would like to drink. And that was, that was really it. I mean, that was just quality was the biggest thing for us. Yeah. So I think it was lacking just fresh freshness and quality. That was all we wanted to go for. Um, which meant, you know, we started small for partly, you know, because it's all we could afford, but also because that meant our stuff was going to be sitting on a shelf anywhere. It was totally. sold a hundred percent out of the brewery. That was it. You come, you drink it, you better drink it fast and come again next week and get more of it. And that was, that was sort of what we wanted to do. And in a place that that was underrepresented, what did those early days look like? Did it did it catch quickly that people are looking for this and it hasn't been here, or did you really have to kind of get the word out and grow it? 
No, it, it caught, I've, I'm still shocked at how quick it caught. And I, I don't know if that's a testament to the beer, the place, or just the lack of anything like this around here. But, you know, we, we've never advertised anywhere. But like first day, we just, you know, on Facebook, like, hey, we, we got this brew in this barn. We're going to open up, come by and grab some beer. And it was like, you know, that first day, there was a huge line at the door. I'm like, what that? We were not prepared for that. Really? Um, at all. And, and so yeah, for whatever reason, it just kind of, it just kind of stuck. Like I said, I think a big part is the location, you know, like it's just a place to come and kind of unwind and really just kind of relax and see something different. Um, I like to think it's a beer. You never know, but <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> a combina- it's a combination it's, of both. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I'm sure yeah. it's mostly the beer, but to, to be in just to have that. Cause I, I, to, I honestly don't, I've been to Vermont or I'm sorry, uh, Rhode Island a handful of times, but never, never for that long for, I just don't, um, have any connections there, I guess. Um, but it, it, it always just from the size versus population, it seems like that true rural farmland, you know, at the very least is not as common maybe as it is in Maine or Vermont. Yeah. For so, sure. so there must be a, not novelty, but a certain, uh, heightened level of desirability to be like this is like extra cool because there's nothing yeah. like yeah. this yeah yeah in terms of like being out uh having space like this in terms of land and also uh, having a brewery like this it's yeah at the time at least for sure was both of those are pretty novel uh-huh. mm. yeah um yeah f- to talk then about just the beers um you know how how how, how the be- beers started to unwind um I know that the, for naming, there's there's a lot of connotations with your kids and dogs. And dogs. Um, yeah. <laughs> Big fan of the dog names. That's right. That's um, right. But, uh, you know, you would have opened very, maybe I guess a year or so behind us. So it's a very similar climate and, and, and all that of beer. So, you know, obviously IPA is definitely king um how do you look at that in, in Rhode Island at that time? I want to certainly talk about how we – kind of compare how we look at it now. Um, but it, you know, that six years was a long six years of, uh, at least, at least for me. So I'm, I'm curious yet yeah, how, uh, how that was viewed for you when you guys opened. Yeah. Um, my, you know, when we opened, I just, I always said, I want to beer, brew beers that I like to drink. It was hard for me at the time, you know, being on such a small scale to to put that much time into something that I wasn't going to want to drink that much of, you know, not that it was a bad beer, just a style I wasn't interested in, you know. Um, so at the time, I was just a lot of hoppy beers. I love drinking hoppy beers. So we made a lot of those, uh, you know, and then I'd want to kind of branch out and, and diversify a bit, offer some more variety. So we brew some other things, you know, a stout or a blonde or something, something off the cuff different and saw pretty quick it just didn't sell like the hoppy beers did you know so it was sort of like why fight it if i if i like to drink them and people seem to want those more than anything that's sort of what we what we made a lot of and sort of and with the hop farm background also was sort of you know fed into our story of who who we were um and so it just kind of stuck for a while and yeah like i said at the time that 2014 2015 was sort of when like 16 ounce cans really started to hit the market and and hoppy beers really started to kind of make a name for themselves and there there were only it seemed like at the time back then like you know a handful of breweries that you heard of that were really killing it you know Bissell and Treehouse and Trillium and like those are the big names you heard back then and 
and there weren't beers like that being made other places really. So for down this way to, for someone, that's what we heard a lot of like, wow, I didn't know I could drive 10, 15 minutes and get beer that tasted this good and not have to drive two hours and stand in line for it. Like that was sort of who we were at the time. Um, and we just, we said, yeah, that's great. That's what we like to do. So we'll just keep doing it. Um, um did I know I, I see, certainly see it here versus Portland direct, uh, like customer feedback, like has so much more weight because you got way like you have a higher percentage, but fewer overall quantity of regulars versus what we do in Portland. So it's these same faces and you can't help. You can't just be like, oh, well, that's just one person's opinion when it starts to kind of become consensus pretty quick on on whatever, you know, oh, I wish you'd brew XYZ beer um, yeah. again. And and Matt will kind of be be the liaison for me. They get with, very with that. comfortable, which yeah. is great. But, but to his point, there's less of it. They spend more time with you and they get very t- comfortable to give you their honest feedback about things they, they do like or don't like. And I think the difference yeah. with this market up here, we hear it all the time, is single can, single can. Well, you guys are brewing new beers all the time. How I gotta buy four of these things to figure out if I like it? Why can't I have a single can? You know, and they get very comfortable just seeing it through their lens, telling you that. Obviously, you're thinking about what a small percentage this is as compared to Portland, and and ever you know what I mean. Yeah. But but we yeah, do get sure. we have fun with that and, and get laughs out of it. And and I guess what I'm <laughs> curious about is, um, I think everyone does this in their own way you have to take that feedback and kind of have that inform, especially beers that aren't just the obvious things, the, the, the IPAs, the double IPAs, the double dry, you know, um, that we don't need to get into that, but for how you do, for when you do make a decision to brew something like, um, like, like you guys do a pumpkin ale every year, right? Yeah. For something yeah. like that, that for in the grand scheme of what you make is definitely a deviation. Is that kind of coming from, customer uh feedback or is that kind of coming from um almost guessing like i i really need to brew something different right now i'm gonna go crazy i think this would be (laughs) almost like a compromise in a sense of like this would be more interesting than you know whatever an esb or something Right, right. Yeah, that's one thing that you mentioned matt actually that kind of i've i've forgotten about and I miss it up here was uh, initially down there. Like we, you know, we, we didn't really have a staff. I mean, I'm, I made a hundred percent of the beer for like two and a half years yeah. and my sister would help in the, in the, the tap room, you know, <laughs> with me and Cara pouring beers behind the bar. So it was, that was, it was me and Cara and, you know, a couple of fr- close friends and family helping out, but we were, we were the behind the bar every hour we were open. So we had that relationship with the regulars, mm-hmm. you know, and we got to hear and, and very open and honest feedback totally. all the time. Like, man, this beer tastes great. Or like, you know, I don't, I really didn't like that beer. Don't make that again. <laughs> I was like, no, it's, that's good to hear. I'm glad you say that. Um, and you know, we knew so many people on like first name basis and, and you just really, and it was actually really good because you, you get honest feedback from them, which was totally. huge at the time which you don't really get now. Um, I'm not behind the bar to, to see people as much anymore really at all. And when I do get to see people, it's more of like, just like, Hey, how's it going? Congrats on the new space. It's really not like getting into the details of the beer itself. Um, 
So that honestly, that was a huge help for us in the early years, like learning what people want without even asking for it. They kind of just told <laughs> us and it was sort of <laughs> in a good way, you know, it was like, yeah. well, I didn't really ask for that feedback, but it helps me plan what to make, you know? Uh, and yeah, so it was kind of a combination. Like you said, like the pumpkin thing was like, Hey, you know, Carr's dad actually was like, I got a shit ton of pumpkins. You guys should make a pumpkin beer. It's like, great. Let's do it. And I don't really care for pumpkin beers, but people really like it. It's once a year. Um, we don't put any kind of sugar or anything in it. It's just straight up, you know, malty pumpkin beer, which is, and people seem to like it. We get that honest feedback and it's like, Hey, you know, that's, you like it. We're going to keep making it. So, so no spices yeah. or anything. No, the first year we did, we did, you know, subtle spices. And then I just could, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't wow. handle spice in my beer. So yeah. So we, it's just like, it's like a, a very malty amber ale with a shit ton of pumpkins in the kettle. Um, it's good. I enjoy it. I, I enjoy it now, you know, but it's, wow. uh, if it wasn't honestly, like, it wasn't for the feedback of people really showing us like, when you're coming out with that Jack beer again, I really like uh -huh. it. Like we may not have continued it, you know? Yeah. Well, I feel that way about a ton of, uh, we have like <laughs> yeah. a ginger IPA that's very much in that, uh, fits, yeah. fits in that mold of honestly, not at all ever what I'm going to go drink. It was a yeah. one off. We had, it came to be from this one off or, like a five gallon one off for a, this one event. And then, um, but here we are with people like beers yeah. like that. It seems like the people that like them, like live and die by them. Um, yeah, for sure. And um, I did want to ask to, to not put words in Noah's mouth, but to, to evolve that original question of how you were thinking about IPAs six years ago to how you're yeah. thinking about them now to, for yeah. me, the most vocal person I've ever heard that that IPAs aren't going to live this way forever and and we, we need to make different things and evolve what we do has all been from Noah in ter <laughs> in terms of this is this is great for what it is, but in terms of thinking about longevity, it can't just be this. How do you yeah. view that, disagree or agree with that, and think about that six years later from where you started? Yeah, that that's I feel like uh any any brewery in New England over the past six years has had probably the same conversation of course uh, over and over again. And I, I feel the same way, like, hey, it, uh eventually people are just gonna get saturated. Mm -hmm. And it's like you know, the, the novelty of like the seeking out those, you know, and standing in line for those free brews that were making beer of that quality, um, that seems to have kind of, you know, certainly died down since there's so many more breweries now making them, um, whether or not they're all great quality or not is a different thing, but it's just, it's very easy to find them now. Um, and I felt the same way, like it's the bubble's going to burst. And so we started really ramping up, um, you know, other styles of beer because we, you know, my tastes have, have expanded since those early years too. And I really enjoy, you know, we've got some fooders now. I really enjoy mixed fermentation beers, um, that kind of stuff more so like partly I want to brew them, but also like, Hey, this is sort of also as people's tastes change, we got to kind of grow with them. But I just still, I haven't, we here at Tilted Barn and we have not seen that big change yet. You know, <laughs> yeah. we'll have, you know, we, we did a Porter this week. We can today actually, um, next to an IPA and that porter is going to last twice as long as the IPA. I guarantee it. Yeah, um, yeah. it just, it's, it, it's mind boggling still how many people still go for it. Uh, I, I mean, I, I love it. I, I drink them too. It's just, I just felt like 
you know, everything's in waves, you know, comes and goes, comes and goes. But man, this, this hoppy beer, New England wave, it just seems to just continue for whatever reason. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of, I don't, I don't know what I think anymore. anymore. Um, <laughs> I, and, and I, cause I, I, I think the thing that I battle with is like, obviously trying to reconcile, like you said, in the early, like truly when we opened, it was zero bullshit to say like, I brew what I want to drink. Like that was, <laughs> we, we opened with the beer I wanted to drink. Um, <laughs> I was like so much of a hothead. I would drink other styles a thousand percent, but I mean, that was um, very truly like my singular passion within beer. Um, and, and like you say, that's, that's evolved. It's natural for that evolve. Totally. And I think mm -hmm. it's also like a logical conclusion that you would think other people in their own way would follow, like you say, that same reaches a fever pitch and kind of has to, all right, what else is there out there? Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. Like, how, how did you put factor that into consideration with designing um, the your expansion? Because obviously, you know, you you can't not be thinking about um f financial good financial decisions in terms of what you'll use the space for and then kind of reconciling like what what a brewer's role is and almost do you introduce people to what they didn't know they wanted or do you right. create what they pretty much already knew they wanted and and where you know where you choose battles there that was uh i've when we started planning this expansion was, I think the first time we actually had to like actually think about, uh, from a business standpoint, you know, cause like, this is, this is kind of getting real now. We're not just throwing <laughs> a two barrel system in yeah. a barn that's on a property. You know, we're yeah. going to, we're going to clear land. We're going to build a new brewery. We're going to buy some big equipment. Yeah. Um, so that's really the first time I had to really think about it. And it was, I remember not even knowing what to think about it at first. Uh, you know, I think we started planning this in 2016 or 2017 was when we first said, Hey, we're going to open up this new space. And actually our original brew house, we called, it was a 30 barrel brew house with all 60 barrel fermenters. Cause in my head, we were just going to double batch IPAs and double IPAs, you know, three out of four days a week. And that fourth day we'll do something different. Uh, but then even from that time we signed the paperwork for those 60 barrel fermenters, by the time we actually came time to pull the trigger so for them to start making them, it, we realized, you know what, uh, it's going to be better to have smaller batch diversity of like, instead of, you know, double batching a couple styles all week, like let's, let's just get a bunch of thirties and, and come out with four or five different kinds every week if we can, you know, just to really kind of have a, a wide array of beers available you know, most of those may still be hoppy beers, you know, say half or 60% of them. But now with this, uh, you know, an actual tap room setting, people are going to want to come and sit and drink some beers and they're not going to want to see a menu with like, you know, we got 20 taps and 18 hoppy beers. Yeah. You know, it's just not really appealing anymore. So that's sort of what we were thinking about. And, and even, uh, we've only been open in this new space for, for two months and we're, we're still evolving, uh, how, you know, what kind of what we're doing, but, it's, it's really, we're trying to just be as diverse as possible because, you know, I enjoy brewing different styles of beer. I enjoy drinking different styles of beer. Um, and it's nice to be able to offer that to people while still having, you know, those hoppy beers kind of be the ones that keep the train going and, and 
keep people coming back for at least offsite cans, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's tough. I feel like, like you said, no, you're always, you're like, you're always thinking, all right, this hoppy beer is going to go away. What's next? We're going to start kind of like looking at that, looking to the future, but it's sort of, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it yet. Wait, my 20 barrels of, of bitter didn't fly out the door. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Um, and, and so how have you, uh, I guess two double-sided question for first, um, first part, um, uh, where is like Rhode Island's just status in terms of, uh, gathering like for how how is your tap where what are you able to do in your tap room right now uh right now we're at 50 percent capacity based on whatever your fire code is so whatever it is you can have a half the amount of people in there and every table has to be eight feet apart mm -hmm. so but that's inside where we're obviously yeah. world. inside outside it's unlimited you can have as many people outside as you want as long as every table is eight feet apart um, and that's the weird thing too, is it's, everyone's got to be sitting at a table. There's no like hanging around, yeah. uh, which is different for us. You know, we were at the old space, it was, you know, we'd have, you know, hundreds of people there coming up to get beers. And I was like, we were so relaxed because we just knew it was like a machine. You just knew how to like, get through that crowd and get to the line and handle people and get them beers and get them in, get them out. And then we opened here and it's like, we got tables. Like I got to bring beer to people. Elevator? Like I not, this is not <laughs> in my, in my element. I, I have not, I've done it once. I think since you open maybe twice. And I was like, <laughs> Nope, I cannot do this. I cannot do this. Give me 300 people in line and I'm fine. Give me 30 people at a table. Like, Nope, definitely not. Totally. Is it the, <laughs> like, I don't know how you're, when you're behind a bar, you're almost, I don't want to say a character, but you're almost kind of removed from the relationships yeah. clear when you go then like to this table and you're talking to us, an isolated group of people. It's like a totally different dynamic than like holding oh, sure. court at a bar. They came to your court, to your turf. Right. And now you're kind of, even though it's yours, you're on yeah. their turf when you walk oh, yeah. up to the table. 100%. It's a different dynamic. Hundred percent, and I mean our our staff here has done an amazing job. Half of them worked in the industry, you know, in the in the hospitality industry before, so they it was nothing new to them. But some of them it was new, and uh, and everyone just you know evolved on the fly. You know, and it seemed like in Rhode Island anyway for a little while, every week was different. The the regulations yeah. changed. How many people? What the tables were? What who could sit at your table? Who couldn't sit at your table? That kind of thing. And uh, you know, we've adjusted. Um, I. I <laughs> I remember we were short one day and I was like, you know, I'll, I'll go waste some tables. I want to try it out. And like, <laughs> they must have known because everyone, like everyone working for us that day was like, you need help, Matt? You want me, you want me to get that table up for this beer? Then my first time, I'm like, like, no, 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 I got it. I got it. I got it. And after like 20 minutes, I'm like, no way, man. Like you got it. I cannot, I cannot do this. It's not my thing. I cannot make this work. Uh, <laughs> it, did, it gave me huge appreciation in hindsight. You know what I mean? Not only yeah. when you have like the, the own premise model and you're a brand that has enough brand loyalty or brand equity that people come seek out your establishment in the first place. That's an incredible thing. But then on top of that, you can staff this thing with like 
very few people stand behind the bar. Everybody gets in a line to come up to you and get the beer and then go do their thing. And like every 40 minutes or 30 minutes, you go do a big glass run. But truly how easy, how efficient and how (laughs) beneficial that is to you in the business became very evident, very quick when this hit and it turned into a restaurant model and you're running from every corner of the premise over an eight hour stretch, like, Oh, I wasn't working like this before. This is different. It it really though, truly made me so appreciative for almost the way that people are willing to do business with you on those terms and still love it and enjoy it. It was kind of eye opening in that way. Yeah. hundred percent. I agree. hundred percent. It definitely opened my eyes to, and made me just appreciate, uh, other servers in the hospitality industry in general too and like how how much work it is to do that and how much hustling's involved i told uh, <laughs> that that story i was talking about the, the tables i had i i gave them all last call half hour early because yeah. i was like <laughs> i'm done and so my whole section was gone half hour early i was like wow what happened i'm like i, I gave him last call <laughs> like i cannot do this get him out of here quick i just oh became God. a bad <laughs> listener to my staff because now from like the far corner of the premise to the to the taps in my head i'm doing like two subbies a luxe reciprocal two subbies a luxe reciprocal. like just trying yeah, to remember yeah. all these different orders um it's yeah. super interesting yeah it is for sure um did yeah. you guys do uh has delivery home delivery been part of the um framework so uh rhode island wouldn't let us do it so we couldn't mm-hmm. do delivery um we could do takeout so come curbside you order you come here pick it up you can get it yourself but we couldn't do delivery um the one thing we did do though so i'm in rhode island i don't know if you want to get into this this would be a whole nother episode but the rhode island beer laws have just been historically awful which is a big reason probably why the rhode island beer scene has been so totally bad totally been. um and it's been coming around i've been a, a big advocate of that i've learned the past four or five years up at you know in providence you know during each session, pushing for bills, trying to get things passed, speaking when I can. Um, one thing we're, we've been pushing for for a couple of years and actually just got approved in November, right around the time we opened, was uh, we can't you can't self-distribute in Rhode Island. But looking at the laws, there's nothing that prohibits us, Carr and I, that is, from owning a, a distribution company separately. So we started our own distribution company separately from Tilted Barn. Uh, and we distribute only Tilted Barn beer. So we've been able to sell wholesale to, you know, bars and restaurants and things, especially for takeout because everyone's doing takeout now and they want some extra cans. So we're going that route. You know, we're taking a small hit anyway because we're selling a wholesale, but at least we're the wholesale company too. So we're not taking as big a hit yeah. as if we went to, you know, selling to a wholesale company who then sold to the restaurants. We're the go between to those bars and restaurants for those things. So. That's something we've been able to do to to get through all this too. When did that go into effect? Uh, it was, I think, December, like right before Christmas. We started sending stuff out. Wow! But that's really surprising to me because it, it it usually there's, I mean, we did kind of a workaround version of that, but we Peter Peter and I like we could not own the dis- distributor. Um, so that's where where Josh or, or Sniff came in. But that yeah. so that part surprised me that it's that clean and then yet it's so messy in all these other other ways. Um, I know that like for a while it was like, uh, well, it was some odd number like 
11 cans or something. Oh, yeah. um, what was the limit there and kind of where, where is for, where, where does that stand now? As you say, it's kind of moving along slowly, but surely. Yeah. So uh, when we opened in 2014, we could sell 72 ounces per person for offsite consumption. So you, it was designed on a six pack at the time, 12, yeah. uh, six, 12 ounce bottles. Uh, so we were doing growlers at the time, which meant we could do one 64 ounce growler or two 750s. And that was it for probably, I forget how long, a year or two. And then that got increased to, um, I forget what it got. It basically was like tripled. So you could, you could do a little bit more, but, but not, a, not a whole lot. Um, and then maybe two years ago that got increased to the equivalent of a case. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was 18 cans for a little while, Noah. That was because uh, they yeah. said it on like ounces and they were yeah. still looking at 12 ounce bottles or 12 ounce yeah. cans, not realizing if you sell 60 ounce cans, you can't do a full case. It was like 18 cans. Um, that's since been increased to just a case across the board, regardless of 12 ounce or 16 ounce. It's just a case of beer. Um, <laughs> which is still. I mean, it's pathetic. It's pathetic. It's so pathetic. Like, yeah. I look at you guys and math, and I'm like, man, like I can't even imagine if we could just do that kind of volume per person. And you get people traveling. You know, we get people that come down from wherever, you know, traveling from out of state, not knowing how bad the laws are, and they're like ready to stock up. And it's like, what do you mean I can get a case? Yeah. So like, that's like the biggest part. It yeah, it would kill your tourism business i mean people not that it would necessarily prevent people from coming but just so much lost revenue opportunity there yep for us and for all the local businesses around here right um and it they come you know we see a lot of time they come the first time and then they hear a shitty of the laws are and, and we may not see them again for a while because it's just not it's not worth the trip you know for for 18 cans at the time it's like Who's going to drive three hours for 18 cans? It's like one and done. They come once and they realize and that's it. And I need to bring Um, like a brick or something to put in the, in the flat just so they don't roll around everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, The, to, to go back to, I I was curious about delivery because I think that has played a role in the situation for us, but we've definitely felt almost like a tale of two two kind of mentalities in in covid like on one hand it's felt there's been a freedom for what we can brew but on the other we've also paired we've also felt a constriction because we've we've had to placate more to retail um even uh-huh. like chain-ish retail like for us just it's just Hannaford and Whole Foods and then some other main chains um but you know they're they're not looking for you know a k three three cases of three different beers they want a beer or a couple that they can rely on that'll come um so I yeah I felt liberated like I kind of joked about about the bitter but but you know, we did that and, and that actually went pretty well, all things considered for a fucking bitter in January, um, (laughs) in Maine. Um, but on the other hand, it's like, we, we almost have to pick our battles a lot more. Like we kind of have to pick, pick doing something like that, lean into it harder where, you know, honestly, like Umbra is one of my favorite beers we make. Don't even remember the last time we could do that just because it, (laughs) 
it just doesn't really make sense. You know, I think it was with draft effectively gone in Maine. I mean, it's it's there, but it is hobbling along. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So 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 I wondered if 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 you've if if COVID itself has beyond the expansion has changed mm-hmm. has has um informed or influenced um just the ratios of styles and 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 brands you guys are making yeah a hundred percent i feel like um we weren't doing we weren't allowed to do delivery but uh because early on when covid first hit in rhode island all the bars and restaurants were essentially closed Mm -hmm. and so yeah there wasn't any draft beer so everyone if you wanted to drink beer you were either going to a liquor store or going to a brewery to get it um, so we learned pretty quick. People just want that tried and true. Like you said, you know, Hannaford's only wants, you know, one, one brand and not, not 10 different ones. That's sort of how we entered like, you know, emergency mode almost of just brewing core styles that we knew people would come for. Cause yeah, if we threw out that, that oatmeal stout, it's like not many people are going to come out. Maybe they just want to get what they know is good and what they know they can drink at home. So yeah, it, yeah definitely kind of, it was, uh, it was a necessity to do it just to get through the time. It was, it was, it was kind of, you know, it was disappointing to really like limit what you could do and to have to brew the same stuff over and over again. Um, that's luckily since we opened the tap room yeah. here has, has lifted quite a bit. Um, which is strange too, cause you know, we haven't, Car and I haven't gone out to eat since before March just cause we were trying to be safe too, or so partly cause we're so busy, yeah. but also, just trying to be safe. And then it's sort of like, then you open up here and you're inviting all these people to come see us in this new space, which is a little weird, but it's also showing us like how you can, if you do it right, you can do it safe. Yeah. You know, we're, we're well under what the state allows us to be inside just because we want to be comfortable too. We want our staff to be comfortable. We want the customers to be comfortable, but um, it's been nice, man. I, it made me realize how much I miss just getting out and talking to people mm-hmm. uh, by opening this place and seeing what, what that can do. Cause that, People are more willing to try different styles if you can order a glass of it on draft versus have to buy a four pack mm-hmm. to take home. Yeah, know? right. And it since, completely changes everything. Since you've opened that, you've been able to kind of open it back up a little bit and and brew some yeah. of those different styles again. Yeah, we. I was getting yelled at for not having enough diversity from the staff, from all the front house people. Like, man, like we got you know nothing but happy beers right now. I'm like, shit, I got to get out of that mode. I was yeah. in for like eight months of growing on you know limited style. So we really we've been pushing to just have a good you know diverse lineup, which means you know some of those cans will sit a little bit longer uh, than they would in house, but the draft beer of that just flies. So we're just we're kegging more of that and canning less of that kind of style. So awesome. Um, what, what, what are those be with the, the new, um, just with additional capacity? Also, I can't imagine how good it is to just be able to like stretch out a little bit physically. <laughs> I literally can't imagine with just how big of a difference that, that clearly is. But, yeah. um, yeah. What, what have those styles been and kind of like, how have you been using, um, what is beer diversity looking like for you, for, for you guys? Mm. Um, yeah, it's a good, that's a good point. Cause for us, it's always been, um, you know, obviously the hoppy beers are sort of like our, our core brands that we do. Um, I never realized how much, I was never a big kettle sour fan. Um, I enjoy sour beer. I enjoy mixed fermentation stuff and I never really got into the kettle sour game at all. Um, and then we decided to brew one for fun. It was like, man, people like really enjoy it on draft so that's something that we've done more of i'd say we're doing maybe like 
we're going to plan on doing like once a month doing a kettle sour just to kind of keep something like that going. Um, I enjoy low ABV or low ABV beers. So we do a blonde, um, got a few different pale ales, that kind of stuff, you know, stouts, porters. Um, and then the, the, the mixed fermentation stuff is just sort of as it, as it comes, as we have time to, to really focus on that. We do more of that. We have bottles really only a few times a year, maybe like three, four times a year. We'll have a different bottle um, from that program, but that's something that I, I am excited to get now that we have more space and can stretch out is to, to get some more open here and really get more of that going. Um, I know um, that you at least have, I've seen a picture of a fooder. I don't know beyond that. Uh, w- what does that program look like for you for right now? Is it mostly fooders, mostly barrels, or just just the one vessel? Or uh, so yeah, fooders right now. So we have a couple fooders. Um, is all we had space for down there. I always at the old brewery. I was like, uh, we can't fit anymore in this barn. That the old barn was tight. It I mean, looked it. yeah, it, it looked tight. <laughs> uh, the 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 brewery, the, the brewery space was um, ten by fifteen. That was the brew house and two fermenters, and then the can the the canning room was also was like fifteen by twenty. Had a canning line, three more fermenters in there, um, and then the tap room was separate, which was a little bit bigger. But I mean, it was it was tight. It was like you know, most people have walk-in coolers bigger than a whole production space, <laughs> and so. <laughs> But I really wanted to get some some oak in there. We couldn't do barrels. It, was, it t- took up too much room. So I remember seeing on Fooder Crafters Instagram page one time, they make these custom tall skinny fooders. So I said, oh, my God, we can we can fit one of those in there. And then I was like, we can fit we can fit two of those in here. <laughs> so we <laughs> we moved some stuff out and put a couple of those in, uh, which is it's fun. So we um isolated a couple different wild yeast strains growing around the farm and we play around with that. So it's a mix of, you know, yeast growing on the farm, some other kind of fun stuff that we bought commercially. And, and it's really just, as we have time, um, we really, you know, we focus on that. It's, you know, as you know, it's set it and forget it for a while. So it's easy to do something and look back three, four months down the road, see how it's, see how it's going, see how it's doing. So. Yeah. We, we kind of missed out on, on, there being a lot of overlap of that happening in Portland. I wish that we had, we, we, it was kind of a spatial thing and, and a few other things, but that's been, uh, you know, devil in disguise up here is that mentality is definitely, I think would very much be true if everything for us was under one roof. But I think I've, I've definitely, I've gotten a lot better about it recently, but caught myself, leaning on that and you know at the end of the day time flies and yeah it's okay to set and forget it for a while until then it's like been you know it's very easy to miss completely yeah. its arc um yeah. and and yeah. that's kind of kind of been scary for but um are you do you have like that like what foam has uh foam brewing uh, they, like a seven barrel like yeah. yeah we got uh 10 10 barrel tall skinny ten, guys okay cool like you could you could hug it yeah. you know get your arms around <laughs> it but you couldn't you could never reach the top of it you know that kind of thing i um it's uh i yeah, the first time <laughs> i'd seen that kind of design like that real slender slender guy um what was yep. that foam and it kind of like to what you're saying it was put in a place where it seemed like i didn't know if fooder could possibly go here because it just it just seemed, <laughs> and um 
yeah, you just wouldn't shut up about it talking to them. Like, I can't believe you have this. Um, <laughs> how have um, what what is sort of that like vibe of bottles too? Is it is it just kind of like oh, okay? Is there kind of a special uh, contingent of people that you know are, are really into them, or is it just slow and steady of more and more people are like, well, oh, yeah, I'll get one of those too. Yeah, that was uh, that was like a big unknown for us when we've had our first couple bottles come out. Was like, I wonder how these are gonna yeah. sell. So mm-hmm. we 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 set low limits. We didn't know what to do. We're like, all right, two bottles per person. Uh, let's see how it goes. And um, initially, it was like everyone's just excited to see some bottles, which was cool. And then it, it slowed down a little bit from there, where you know, with I think the first, I forget how many cases we got out of each fooder, maybe like forty or fifty cases out of each fooder, and and that lasted maybe like a couple weeks. Um, and then as you see that people, you know, people want to try it and they try it and some people are like, Oh my God, I've never, I didn't know beer could taste like this. This yeah. is like amazing. and so nuanced. And it's like, just like flavors I never knew existed. And then you get people that are like, yeah, it's cool. But you know, give me that double IPA. <laughs> the, for the majority, I think of beer fans, uh, nuance is not a, uh, a positive attribute. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I thought it was, I, I was like, man, people are going to love like the subtle nuanced flavors that we're getting out of these. And yeah, people are just like, give me more. Some, some people anyway, like give me more of everything, you know? And it's like, that's not what we're going for with it. And it's probably what you guys experienced on Milo too, was oh, like yeah. a beer that's so complex and so nuanced. And there's so many flavors. If you really just sit and digest it and some people just aren't into doing that. I did want to ask you about that. Cause, cause what I found here is kind of at, at the most basic, there's an, there's an unexperienced customer who's sour is a singular flavor to them. Ooh, this is sour. Mm-hmm. They don't like it. They haven't experienced much of it and they stay away from it. You have on the other side of that spectrum what if if I'm judging it linearly is kind of the most advanced palate and experienced beer person is very much looking for those things from us because they can identify and understand and enjoy this nuance and depth of flavor. And there is somewhere in the middle where you can take a person and and very much excite them and inch them along and watch them go from, okay, I don't do that like, ooh, right away when I drink it. It's a little different, <laughs> yeah. but with the right kind of the depth of narrative that goes with that stuff and everything else, you can get them there reasonably quickly. And then a lot of them tend to be what they look like that's what they look for from us um, for you guys sure. and your mixed firm program and, and how long you've been doing it. Have you had a window to where you can see how much customer consumer education helps and is working or, or how much of it isn't? Yeah, I feel like uh, that's a good point. Cause like our first bottle release we did mm-hmm. people in general, just like they, they didn't care what it was. They just saw bottles and like, Oh, I want to try it. I want to try it. And that's really cool. And and it really was not, we didn't have to describe it much. It certainly wasn't like a a hard sell Mm -hmm. of people just like, what's my limit. I want to buy it. Um, and then as some people, you know, some people find out quickly, Hey, this isn't my style, which I completely understand. Or some people, like I said, just don't understand. And, And so we find our, our staff having to teach them like, 
talking about the, the subtlety and the nuances and the flavors you get from that and the different flavors you're getting. I'm like, no, you're supposed to experience that aroma or you're supposed to get that taste out yeah. of it. It's not, it's not what you normally get out of beer, but yeah, it's, it's supposed to be like, don't worry about it. Um, kind of explaining that to them. And it wasn't until we opened in this new space that I realized, cause we never, I didn't have that. I wasn't thinking at the time I was just thinking initially with the first few releases, like let's just bottle all of it. I can't wait to get it out. Mm-hmm. We didn't pull any cakes. And so oh, uh, no one could try yeah. it. And it was like, you kind of like, no, trust us. When you go home, you're going to like it. And you, you couldn't have that conversation. Like, here, try a splash. See what you think of this. And you can talk about those flavors. Um, we, the last bottle release we did at the old brewery, we pulled a bunch of kegs and, you know, conditioned them in the kegs. But then COVID hit, so we couldn't pour them down there. So we just, we sat on them. And I was like, well, it's going to be perfect when we finally open this new space, which we did. So we had... I think we actually ran out of bottles that day, I remember. So we probably had almost four barrels of, of a food or, you know, mixed fermentation mm-hmm. beer keg that we put on draft here. And I'm like, this is going to be amazing. Like just to have a diverse lineup for a grand opening, like, this is going to last us a while. And it was gone in like two weekends, yeah. like all of it because people loved yeah. it. And it was like, it was so great to see because you, you kind of like, they could try that with you with that, that server that I, I hate doing at their table. You know, you could actually have that conversation though with them. Like, Hey, try this beer. And there's, so, there were so many people that were like, wow, I never knew I liked this style of yeah. beer. And I feel like not committing to a 750, committing to, you know, a half pour and talking about it with, with you yeah. there made a huge difference. Literally for that middle customer I was talking about, you're going to see some people that sour, they truly, they make that face. They, they find it disgusting (laughs) for that middle customer (laughs) and knowing that from them based in kind of everything else I've had them taste for those people. I'd literally slide by a lot, little snap pour out of our samplers and just put it on their table as I walk by. Maddie, every time we had one of the mixed firms on, what's this? Just try it. Just try it. And you'd really see in in a matter of three, four months, a lot of times that acquired taste thing sets in. And now that's what they're coming up and ordering. Um, But on your guys side, are you fruiting a lot of that stuff? We do. Yeah, pretty much. uh, We try and time it. So we have, either two bottles simultaneously or two bottles, uh, two different, like two different beers out of the fruiters ready to go within a short time frame from each other. So one will be fruited, one will not yeah. be. Um, I really like the old character in some of our fruited beers. So I, I really wanted to kind of show that. And, um, but at the same time, my, if I had to pick like a style of beer that I could drink every day, it would probably be a fruited mixed fermentation beer. So I really like to, to throw some fruit in there, some local fruit, um, so we, it's probably been about half and a half. And when you say local, are you, how much of that is, is that being grown right on the farm with you guys? Uh, nothing yet, really? but that's, that's the, that's sort of the next phase. Once we finally get, you know, catch our breath a little bit is to really start growing some of the fruit that we're using our fooders. Um, the brewery here looks over what is a Christmas tree field now, which I, my dream is to turn that into, uh, an orchard for fruit for our mixed fermentation, uh, program. Wow. But, um, we try and buy as much local as we can. You know, we, like we did a, a peach, a peach mixed firm beer from the orchards, like a couple miles down the road. We just got a bunch of peaches from them, that kind of thing. So I really, that's what, that's like my, aside from a, a nice low ABV hoppy beer is a nice subtle fruited mixed mm-hmm. fermentation food or age beer is like, that's perfect for me. I love yeah. it. And we've got one on blueberry, I think is the closest in terms of proximity crop 
that we've gotten. And I think it's, yeah. I think it's, it's about a couple miles, maybe three miles yeah. down the road. Um, nice. And I don't know how much of it is, is us trying to imprint that on people or like our own excitement. But I, I do think that there's, that does translate to the customer, the excitement around that locality, especially in a place like yep. this, which is, who's kind of socioeconomic trajectory is, has gone down, not up for a while. And there's a pride about bringing things back yep. here and stuff like that. Do you find that yep. with, with your customer base that being able to weave those stories of locality really means something to them or is it just another layer? Yeah. No, I, I find that, uh, I think it definitely does because of, for whatever reason, there wasn't just a lot of that, like in Rhode Island in the past, similar to like a, you know, shitty crap beer scene was just, there wasn't just a lot of like buy local movement mm-hmm. that I saw up in like Northern New England and up your way. Um, and it's changed recently for sure over the past few years. And so it's when people see that now, they're like, Oh, I really, I want to get behind that. That's like, it's a good story, but and generally the quality is better too, you know? Um, so it's sort of like a win-win and, and people are really are starting to get behind that now. So yeah, for sure. Like it's sort of like our sense of place for the brewery here where people come here, not just for the beer, but because of the location, mm-hmm. it's sort of like the story, the story behind those beers are also a big part of why people want to drink them. Hell yeah. Totally. Yeah. You've you've mentioned a couple times like growing yeast um or or farming yeast. Um, yeah. I, you know, I I'm obviously familiar with wild culturing. Um but when you use the word farming, are you doing anything selective in terms of to create an environment where, you know, good wild yeast will grow from experience? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's like, uh, educated, educated mm-hmm. guesses, you could say. Yeah. So like we basically, you know, we'd set out, it's sort of like mini cool ships in mason jars. Yeah. We set out, we set out wart outside in like specific places that we, we'd like to try and capture something cool. So under, there's some wild apple trees growing in the woods. We set some out underneath and some grapes nearby. We set some out underneath those just to try and catch something cool. Um, but then we don't do not yet. I really would love to get into a, you know, Allagash style, having like a nice lab to really do the work ourselves, but we send that out to, uh, you know, yeast bank to, to isolate it, see what we get, grow it up for us and do some test batches with it, see if we like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of like educated guesses in terms, I guess you go farming, you're putting things where you want them to grow and seeing what you get kind of thing. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Um, and also I, I feel like sending it out is, we we have someone we haven't honestly delved in delved into that for when we first were getting Milo off the ground we were doing a lot of that and then it just kind of other things took over here and we keep missing kind of the the up narrow windows in the fall to to do that right because yeah. the mason jar you know freezes pretty quick it's pretty small uh, <laughs> yeah um, but uh, the sending out sending it out to get cultured up seems to make way i honestly i that never even occurred to me but the inevitable amount of cross contamination you're opening it up to and that's that makes a ton of sense yep. to me um one other thing just cuz i if if you have not deduced this i know very 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 little about farming except that it's very hard <laughs> um but for for something like your situation where you have um uh a grove of Christmas trees. So trees grow there. What does that process look like of trying to uproot those and then, and replant 
let's say like peach trees or or or, or blueberry mm. bushes or, or whatever you have in mind how, how does that go yeah that's that's always the the tricky thing because it's i could do all the work myself but it would take forever because <laughs> i guess you know you're running a brewery yeah. you got a lot going on aside from that so then it's like okay well i don't necessarily have time to do all that even though i may want to so you got to hire someone to do it. Okay. Well, how much does that cost? So that's sort of, that's, that's why we're kind of waiting on that because with this construction, we just finished now, like we just didn't want to stretch ourselves too thin. Yeah. Um, so we're going to kind of pick away at it instead of doing that field. I would love to do it in is like a four or five acre field. Like instead of doing all of it at once, maybe we'll do like an acre a year for a few mm-hmm. years. And then it's, you know, we'll hire someone to come in and do and take out the old trees for us and then we can do all the planting and stuff. It's just all that, you know, heavy equipment, um, prep work. That is just, I just, as much as I want to, I just don't have the time to do that right now. So mm. sort of slow, slow and steady. So it's sort of our, our MO from when we started, is just, you know, slow growth, steady growth, and we'll get there, even though it may not be fast, but we'll get there when we get there kind of thing. Mm. Like you used to do like, um, pick your own hops parties and stuff like that. You could maybe you have like an uproot your own Christmas tree. <laughs> Free Christmas trees. You just have to Bring take the double. whole thing. Yeah, you got to take the whole right. thing and she's yours. <laughs> I like it. That's perfect. I'm going to use um, it. But yeah, that must be difficult. Like just being capable, especially between you and your wife in that realm. But like you say, the physical time constraints of I know I could do this. I would probably do it in a way that I was more satisfactory to me than someone I'm paying to do it, but I mm-hmm. can't do it. Like there's not, it makes no sense for yeah. me to ditch whatever else I need to do to, to do that, that there, there must be a special type of, of, uh, frustration <laughs> in that. That's the hardest, but that's a, a big hard thing for me too, is like letting, uh, have paying someone else to do something I know I can do yeah. and maybe not do as good or sometimes do better, but it's like, you don't have the time, yeah. you know, it's like, that's hard. I'm not a good delegator. Like I said, when brewing all the beer for the first couple of years, it was hard to have to hire an assistant brewer. Like, and I'm, I'm sure you experienced that too. No, like just letting go a little bit. Yeah. Um, I've learned it's really healthy and it's really good. And there are people that are really capable of doing it. It turns out you, you can't do, even the only figure out what everything. someone's capable of if you don't let them try. It's funny that exactly. every reformed exactly. poor delegator seems to have the exact same answer on the other side of some delegation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's, I don't know. There's seems like an, an awesome, awesome future down there. And I know that, uh, Hopefully we'll be able to do a part two down in your neck of the woods because I would, um, yeah, just one of the, one of those uh, Rhode Island beer trip was on my list for you know would always talk about that and then it's just far enough where it kind of a day trip's tough you know at least especially yep. if you're planning yep. on hitting a few places like um, you know I'd need to hit you guys two days in a row to get over eighteen cans um, you know that's, that's the whole thing um, <laughs> but uh, but hope hope well. I will put put high priority on that as soon as soon as um as soon as that makes sense to do it at least if it's when it's nice out. <laughs> and I, um, I was gonna yeah, I was sure. gonna save it for the send off, but I'm gonna move it up in in regards to that. <laughs> I always tell everybody we talk to, I can't wait to see you on the other side of this or or experience yeah. your experience and all of those things. But with what you guys are doing, how closely it maps to us and the locality of it i, I truly the moment things are, are back to normal i can't i can't wait to get
get down to Rhode Island and check that out. I I truly mean that. Awesome. Uh, from the bottom. Yeah, of my no, head. I'm pumped. That'd be great. Just make sure you bring a shovel when you come so we can dig some. If I can take one home with me, about. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, we'll come sometime in a warm day in November. And, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> there you go. Um, but that is not the, the end of all of our affairs here. As oh, you boy. know, if, if you have listened to one, we didn't mention it much on here, but we have the inside information from Noah that you are probably a fan of something that we're both a big fan of, that we've named a beer after. That Noah's wearing a That's T-shirt right. of, right. yes, and that is signed. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So right. you know the rules to the three bay, is that correct? I do, I do. So are you a pretty deep Seinfeld fan, or? Um. I- uh, so when I so when I was in college, we uh, this is going way back. Seinfeld was on probably like four or five times a day, depending on what channel you found on the TV. So we used to record it all on old VHS tapes. So then when we, that was in the dorm. So when we moved off campus, we didn't have to buy cable because we could just, just throw in the VHS tapes. Seinfeld. Uh, and it was, it was unlimited Seinfeld all That's the time. Amazing. Genius. Uh, Absolutely since, genius. Since, since kids were born, I have not been able to watch as much as I would have liked. So I'm a little rusty, but uh, yeah, I, Historically, I've been a pretty cool. deep Seinfeld. I'm not looking. I'm not going to be asking you for you know the assistant best boy grip on um <laughs> um episodes. I'm not. I'm not looking for that. So I think I think this will be just fine. Yeah. So um, give it to him right. for how much we talked about your beer. We didn't talk a lot about specific beers that totally. that you make. So you can pick any three of 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 your beers, and I'm going to give you um. Three Seinfeld kind of like one-off characters, you know, have okay. uh, have loaded with quirks, and you can fig- and you can deduce, you know, what wh- what makes sense for okay. everyone. So let's start with, um, I guess he's a repeat person, but Kenny Banya, um, the annoying yeah. ass friend. Or I don't even know how he comes into the picture, but just uh, really smiley, <laughs> yeah, really annoying, loves soup. Uh-huh. Um, so there's that guy. Um, <laughs> then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with uh, I can't yet honestly remember his name, but uh, the uh, the close talker. Um, I I yeah. know the actor, but he's, <laughs> he gets you know oddly comfortable with Jerry's parents, and obviously you yeah. know is is really uh, doing acting like every other human uh. being's a microphone. All right, and right. then let's go. Let's go with the maestro. The maestro. We'll, oh, we'll wow. go with the okay. maestro. Yeah, needs no explanation. His name describes what he is. So what are those three go. guys drinking? All right. So those three guys and three of our yeah. beers. All right. I'm going to go. Um, I'll go in order. So Banya <laughs> is someone that is sort of always there. You don't even have to like, you may not even want him. And he's just kind of there <laughs> no matter what. Uh, I would say probably our uh, our first double APA we ever did was called Chosen One. Um and that is sort of the beer that I'd say most people ask us for. And so, like, no matter what, it's just sort of always there. Like, it's always on tap. It's We have it in cans more often than not, uh, whether you like it or not. It's always, it's always there. Man, love it. <laughs> I would say. Um, let me think about that. So, Close Talker. What was his name? I can't remember. Yeah, name. I can't remember. The actor's Judge Reinhold. Um but yeah. I, I, I don't remember what the character. I think everyone just okay. called him the close talker. <laughs> the close talker, yeah, exactly. It's like the super Nazi. <laughs> yes. always. That would have been a good one. Yeah. I guess there's, there's a one in every episode, pretty his much. His name so. was Aaron. Yeah, According right. to the internet, his name was Aaron. 
And I don't remember that. I don't remember stick that. With close talker. <laughs> I'll stick with close talker. There we go. I believe the internet though. Uh, all right. Close talker. That sounds to me like something that you don't really want, but someone's kind of pushing on you. Um, <laughs> so for me, honestly, that would probably be that pumpkin beer we talked about, which would be Jack, which is like, you don't really necessarily want that, but you kind of, you know, maybe it's pushed on you sometimes because it's seasonal and something that uh, you weren't expecting to be right there in your face, but you get good intentions. You. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love it. Uh, and the all la- oh, the maestro, the maestro, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is bring back memories. I feel the same way. I, I'm, I know what I'm watching tonight. It's it's been um, a minute yeah. since I just kind of had that be the thing that's on the TV all the time. Right, right. I know. I was when I when I told you I'd want something easy like some Seinfeld or something like that. I was afraid it was going to be like something about the contest or something like that. <laughs> oh, something racy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, we'll keep it family friendly. <laughs> uh, I'd say the maestro is. Um, very sophisticated. You gotta be proper around him. So that would definitely be something out of our our mixed firm yeah. program. Something that's yeah. a little a little higher end than some of the other beers that we yeah. do. Something Tuscan. Uh, so yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something some grapes in it. Something there you go. Something like that. I I'd love say. it. I love it. Um, awesome. Well, this was tr- truly um, extremely fun for me. It was it was honestly as 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 uh, we talked about before. You know, I think I've pretty much said a, a couple words to you one time when I uh, met you, met you yeah. at the brewery probably four years, three years back now at this point. Um, so it turns out you're even nicer than I expected. So um, uh, this, was, this was awesome. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll get your, uh, we'll get your address to send out like the, the 10 packages that we, we were backlogged to, uh, <laughs> to get, to get out. Um, we do but, have some packages uh, to send. Yeah. Um, so we'll do that. So if you can just, uh, you know, maybe with the audio file, hit, hit up, uh, one of us with a good mailing address. But other than that, um, I'm looking forward to the next episode of not having two people with the same name. It's always easier. Um, (laughs) but, uh, Matt Richardson, um, not Matt Robinson. Um, Very close. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you again so much for the time, man. It was great. Great to, uh, get to know you a little bit. Truly a blast. Yeah, of course, guys. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. We, you know, I, I've been listening to you guys for a while. I love what you're doing. Uh, you know, not just with beer, but with this podcast and actually our brewer here, he listens all the time. So you guys, uh, I know you think it's your little podcast. Not many people listen to, I hear you say sometimes, but yeah, he definitely resonates with a lot of folks in the industry and probably just a lot of beer drinkers in general. So that's amazing. It. And it's we do, we just, hear. we say that to keep ourselves in check. Cause it's very, there's a lot of weight <laughs> knowing that 75,000 people are listening every week that we just try to, right. we try to play right. it down a little bit. As Kanye uh, West once said, it's hard to be humble when you're stunting on the jumbotron. <laughs> and I, I would say all jokes aside, but I'm going to say one more. As soon as this thing is over and you see a car flying down your dirt road, the only other person on earth who could go off that road, that's going to be me. And I can't, I can't Maddie wait to try Robinson. some chosen there we go. one, my man. Yep. I'll be waiting for you. I'll be waiting for you. Thank you so much. Well, awesome, Matt. Um, Thank you so much, man. Um, We will uh, be in touch. Thank you so much, brother. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. I'm in the mood to be slow and careful. My body's ready for a mountain climb. All of a sudden, it will all become lovely. The flower that opens.